It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this week of Work Cookie, the gathering of HR's IOs and one actor as we try to make the world of work just a little bit better. And Jeremy, we're going to talk today about From Clash to Cohesion, part one. This is going to be a multi-parter, and we're going to look at resolving conflict within intact work groups. Uh, You want to give us a little bit more information on that? Yeah, so this is part one. We'll be doing intact work groups, you know, work, you know, group works who work together. And next week we'll do part two, which will be between different work groups. I put the references in the, the chat for today, and you can see them if you're listening to the podcast. Just take a look at the show notes. Um, in general, conflict is uh it's it's inevitable, right? And and we all have different takes on it. And we know that some conflict is needed because without conflict, you can't have changes in perspectives and and all these other good things that that happened and on that note so there's a little history that is shared in this particular article it's called causes effects and remedies and conflict management uh in the uh southeast asian journal of management and so as it states in the early 1900s conflicts were considered an indication of poor management within an organization and were to be avoided at all costs Bumping up into the 50s, it was considered normal and anticipated. And then in the 70s, it's weird, right? Like 50 years later. And then here 20 years later, in the 70s, managers started focusing on how do we resolve them? Not just they're here, it's okay. Um, but really trying to say how how are they created? Um, what's What conflict is good? What is bad? And then what's the re- reason for it? And then another 20 years later in the 90s, managers were required. They had to deal with it to manage the conflict in the workplace. So now, um, sometimes it may be a sign of a dysfunction within a team. Uh, some people view it now, of course, that it promotes growth and creates you know good competition between some employees. But when organizations and work groups fail to keep that conflict as effective conflict, that's when, of course, it starts to you know, put the handcuffs on organization and the handcuffs on groups you, and you start to get even, you know, bottlenecks and in, in production facilities. So there's um, uh, a lot a lot that we'll talk about today in terms of conflict style, in terms of conflict effectiveness, and even conflict resolution. Huh? Uh, it's really interesting, Jeremy, but, you know, can we, can we talk about conflict a little? Because sometimes conflict is not obvious. I mean, you can be in a work situation and personally you get along fine with someone, but if that person is your supervisor, for example, and you're always getting turned down for, you know, projects you would like to lead or opportunities. And so there's no sort of verbal battle or, you know, even negative feelings towards each other. It's just 
that there is an unspoken clash that's going on. Yeah, and that unspoken clash because you know I used to call I used to say there's a film of tension between two people, right? right. Um, in this in the, in the same article that I mentioned, it they did a study and they found that the main uh, causes of conflict were there's three of them: differences in goals, negative perception, and poor communication. Now, note on, on communication. A lot of communication isn't always good. A lot of communication can be signs of, you know, negative workplace relationships, people being um, scared to do things on their own, people not getting the resources they need, people not having role clarity. So that's why it's specifically poor communication. But Tom, what you're thinking about, I'm, I'm guessing more is the negative perception. Uh, and that's it's, it, it, we like the horns in the halo effect. I would maybe it's that combined with the differences in goals, because when you look at what somebody, you know, it all goes back, Tom, we talk a lot about self-interest and self-interest are really the thing that things that drive us and drive everything we do, whether we think so or not. And when we can focus on the self-interest of others, now we can start to try to align what our goals are. You might not have alignment that's just right there. It's not easily seen like we both want to um we, we both want to get this project started by x date and submit it uh to the leadership team by x date and have x result right you might not have like that same goal there's underlying things and there's underlying goals within the goals but in terms of the negative perception there's ways to get around that and part of that is fixing the poor communication so now we can see how we can affect one you know, one at a time, but in a sense, all three and the poor communication. It's interesting. <clears throat> I was working with somebody this week and this person is in the position of having to say very often, yes, you want to push this through, but we can't push this through. And it's usually, okay, how do you, how do you do it? Well, I let them know why and what would happen if it hap if, if the, we do try to push it through and the opportunity cost of that. And my response was, okay, so basically at the conversation, they have to say, okay, and then they're upset and they basically feel like they want to take their ball and go home. But there's a much better way around that. And through a little bit of role playing in that particular interaction, it's really easy to basically, Tom, we talk about all the time, how do you make someone feel heard and understood? It's not necessarily, you know, we can talk about, talk all day about compromise versus win-win and all that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, in order to get really anywhere, it's about making sure that that person's perspective is laid out on the table, helping them, you know, and a good sign of this is if they're repeating themselves a lot, if they're repeating themselves a lot, they're really saying, I want to get this point across. And it's not overly difficult. I mean, you can have conflict and you can have someone say, I want this done right now and we have to push this through. A simple response, Tom, to that is... It sounds like this is really important to you. And yes, a lot of you are thinking, well, how can that really work? Trust me, there's a process to it. And there's a way to work these specific questions and these reflective statements. Because the person's going to say, yeah, you're right. They're going to say, yeah, this is important to me. But they're going to say because. So now you're going to find out why it's important to them. And then you can dig a little deeper. And then you can start to ask other questions like, what happens if we're not able to push this through as soon as you want? or in the way that you want. You might be able to say, it sounds like in a perfect world, we would push this through exactly how you have it. And they would say, yes. Then you might simply say, 
what's the next best perfect world for you? And then you just let them talk, let them think. That's when you start to have the other person think very purposefully and thoughtfully because it's such an open-ended question. You're getting them to solve logistically the problem they're coming to you with. It lets them start to think of other solutions that might be viable. It was interesting because this person I was coaching, they said, well, I did that. Okay, well, how did you do it? Well, I told them what a next perfect solution would be. And I said, well, you know, there's your problem. It is, there is a bit, there is truth to the saying, you know, make it their idea. There is truth to that, but letting them go through that discovery process themselves and coming up, they're probably going to find not exactly what you were thinking, but they're probably going to find some kind of alignment better even so than what you were thinking. So we, we take all these different things and that what I just talked about, we hit these things all together. The causes of conflict, I'll go over again, are differences in goals, negative perception, and poor communication. So we just hit the communication piece really hard and really good. What does that do? It also share, it also steps up the negative perception and starts to shave that more into a positive perception because now that person doesn't have as negative a perception of you because they're thinking, all right, this person understands me. Uh, this person is making me feel hurt. They're not saying that, but trust me, they're feeling it. I mean, we've heard, I forget uh, wh- who the quote was from, but it's people don't remember what you say, but they remember how you made them feel. It's it's true. It, it really is true. But we also hit on the differences in goals there because now you've put it on that other person to start to, you know, you, it's not, you, you can say it to yourself, look, I don't want to try to find alignment with the goals. But how can I do that? I can ask some really relevant questions. So right then and there with that example, we just hit those three different causes of conflict. Tom? Uh, Well, thank you very much, Jeremy. And before I go to you, Leah, I've got one more question for you, Jeremy. It's, you know, uh, the discussion we just had is great when it's, you know, two people one-on-one and there's some conflict that needs to be resolved. But there's a lot of groups where, you know, the conflict is in the group. And the leader of that group is the one who has to make a choice and either are they going to deal with the conflict between two members of their group or are they just going to ignore the situation and hopefully one day it goes away, which is usually the, you know, the path that most people take. So how do we convince those team leaders that when there is conflict, you know, while conflict can be good, how do they resolve that conflict to bring the team once again back together again? Um, or should they be trying right now? First, it's fine, you know, helping that leader find what's in it for them. Because some, when we look at these different types of conflict management techniques, <clears throat> I'll go into. So you have kind of, depending on which research you look at, you might have three, you might have four, you might have five, you might have some that are reworded. But in general, you've got avoidance, accommodation, or compromise. And in that case, you're saying, how do we get them from avoiding it? Um, in that case, the first step is really saying, okay, leader, what's, you know, th- what's in it for you? What's it look like now? What could it look like if there was no conflict? What would be different? Um, you might have people that aren't, you know, it, it, conflict could be so bad that maybe people aren't showing up to work because they just hate working with someone that bad. Maybe they're coming in late. Maybe they're sabotaging projects knowingly or unknowingly. So think about in terms of the leader, what's in it for them. And then there could be some coach, the co- you know, first you got to get that willingness. And really it's, it's about breaking their satisfaction or 
just living with it and create and creating major dissatisfaction with the current state that they're in. You could do coach the coach with them where you start coaching them how to coach the employees. You could help them with some mediating techniques. Um, you could help them learn it themse- learn different techniques themselves and coach them so that they can effectively model to the employees. Um, what else, Tom? What are you looking for? Uh, well, I think I'm looking for your phone number now because I think everyone should call you up for some coaching. <laughs> <laughs> Although we, we've got a lot of IOs here that I'm sure would love to step in. Uh, matter of fact, I'm sure Lee would be great. Let's go to Lee. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, as usual, so much to unpack. Um, you know, I actually had some conflict recently on a team where uh, we had a guy that would just get so excited, basically, that he would just talk over people, take over meetings and, you know, good ideas and stuff. But he just wasn't respecting other people's space and was totally oblivious to it. And I'm getting that from everyone else because of the situation. And, you know, and it started, you know, you got the little things, the little snippy comments that people would make in the meetings or whatever else. and so. I, I had to I had to approach the the, the person in question it was like, hey, can I you know can I give you some feedback? And uh, he, thankfully, he was very receptive to it. Not everybody is. And I was like, you know, I, I get what you're you know I get you're excited and everything else, but you may not realize you're talking over people and it's frustrating people. And he was like, oh, I had no idea because he would just blinders, bing, you know, thought hit, bam, off he's off to the races. And it's like, yeah, let's let's can we scroll that back a little bit? And he got, I mean, almost immediately. He got better because it brought it into his consciousness because he was just oblivious to it. And it was almost immediate change in the dynamic. Uh, and, you know, and every time he goes on PTO, I have to remind him because he comes back and he gets excited again. And he was really back in there, buddy. Um, but, you know, with, with a lot of this, with the the, the, the conflicting goals and the, and the communication in that, a lot of that I found you can actually uh, really handle just by managing expectations. and. Uh, one thing that people just kind of neglect is that, you know, above you and below you, there are expectations. You know, you have the right to expect things from those above you. And people sometimes, you know, oh, no, I can't, I can't expect anything. There's a boss. And it's like, no, that's not okay. And that's one of the first conversations I have with people and say, okay, tell me what you expect from me as your supervisor. And a lot of times people are taken aback. I've never been asked that before. And I'm like, which blows my mind. But uh, and then you find that out. Well, I just, you know, I need to be, you know, this is the kind of environment I like or whatever else. We just make that a conversation, you know, leading questions and all that. And, and then goes the other direction as well. When I speak to, to my leaders, like, okay, what are you expecting from me? Okay, well, these are some expectations that I have. And let's discuss this and if they're an issue. And since I started doing that, a, a lot of the conflict I've been involved in has just gone away because, you know, I've already removed those tripwires. And so we don't just stumble into them un- unexpectedly. Uh, and it gives you the opportunity to ask questions because, I mean, as we've discussed before, you know, different people, different words mean different things. And, you know, so, okay, so I, I'm not quite sure. Could you, can you walk me through that? I'm not sure I'm catching that. Oh, well, you blah, 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 blah. Oh, totally. I was getting the wrong thing. Thank you for that. Uh, and, I, and I find the same thing when people are getting, uh, you know, questions. You know, oh, they got to have this, you know, like Jeremy said, you know, got to have this is the best thing ever. You know, it's like, okay, well, walk me through it. Okay, so so you understand we have some limitations. So what what other opportunities can we have here? I mean, is there something that we could possibly change a little bit? What's your second top thing? You know, don't just shoot it down. Let them walk it through. And most of the time, they will find the answer all on their own. 
just a little nudging. And, and, and for God's sake, never say why. Why do you want to do this? Because people get defensive. So you go, okay, well, I mean, so what, what, you know, walk me through the importance of this to you, you know, help me, help me to understand it. Now they're feeling heard as opposed to being challenged. And uh, that people, they get their hackles up as soon as they feel like they're challenged, even if you, you know, like, like Jeremy said, and I think it was my Angelou who said that people absolutely remember how you make them feel. And if you, once they feel heard and accepted, I mean, the whole world can change. And it's nice to see the world is slowly changing because I know in the past, because um, <laughs> I'm old and I've you know, worked a lot for other people. Um, I have bosses in the past who, if I said, I have expectations of you, they would wonder what the heck I was talking about. Um, so, you know, it's a brave, new, beautiful world, um, we hope. Dr. Matthew, let's go to you. So I love what uh, both Dr. Jeremy and Lee were talking about when talking about communication and um you know, the, the meaning of your communication is the result that you're getting. So by by taking that step back and recognizing, here's what I'm putting out there. Here's what I'm trying to say or what I'm wanting us to do or where I'm wanting us to go. If my intention is is laser focused on that, but I'm not receptive to how that message is being received, and that's kind of like what Lee was talking about, that opens that possibility. It increases that likelihood for conflict among that group. And then all of a sudden I'm getting frustrated. What do you mean you don't understand it? I've told you a thousand times, here's how it looks. Okay, great. But but you're not getting that that something in how you're communicating is not being received the same way. And so now all of a sudden you have multiple parties, whether it's two, three, a team, whatever it may be, where people are going, I don't know, I don't get it. And bringing it back to how does that leader manage that or how do, the, how do organizations manage that? What it really comes down to, a lot of it, is the organizational culture. Does that culture, you know, because culture shapes attitudes, behaviors, um, values. It, it it impacts how conflict is perceived and how it's resolved within that team. If a, if there's an organization, if there's a leader or a culture that values um, harmony or um, you know uh, agility, being able to say, okay, let's take a step back, and as Lee so eloquently put it. Can you explain this piece to me? Because I don't quite understand that. Being able to have that open dialogue to find that interest-based solution that says, here's what I want, here's what you want, here's something in between that allows us to move forward together. Really comes back to how that that team and how that leader establish and, and support that culture. Um, you know, you're absolutely right. The communication is a big issue in a lot of organizations. And I imagine there's a lot of people listening to the Work Cookie podcast who go, yeah, Communication doesn't work where I work. Um, <laughs> it's not an employee. So are there some, you know, just baby steps that people can take if they're living in a culture or working in a culture of an organization that is not really supportive, doesn't really use communication well? Are there some baby steps that people can take to try to get that going? Yes. <laughs> Would you like to reveal a few of them? <laughs> um, you know, I... Th- one thing that comes to mind is, you know, a, a, an answer that I hear often is, oh, let's build some active learning skills. But active learning skills are great if you're wanting to act like you're learning or act like you're listening, excuse me. Right. So active listening, rather than trying to build a skill for that, really take take some time and put yourself in, in somebody else's shoes for a moment. Sit there and listen to them. Maybe in that meeting when you want, when you have a, a ton of great ideas that you are excited to share sit back for just a second, listen and see what other people bring and see how your idea may intertwine with that and, and work with that versus 
dominating it and and getting you know that that laser focus um it, it's really i mean small steps and and really just kind of trying to be mindful of of you and your interaction and and uh yes lee what what lee just said listen to understand rather than just to respond that's those are small steps that can make very big differences our word of the day will be empathy uh, <laughs> thank you very much for that dr matthew nick let's go to you yeah i think it's easy to, to think about conflict when it's when it's loud and it's big and it's obvious. Um, you know, somebody's in a shouting match. There's a conflict there. But the the day to day day to day kind of passive aggressive jabs. You know, these are teams that are together and always around. You know, how easy is it for a conflict to slip into resentment? And then you've got an even bigger problem because now you've got a lasting effect of something you could have solved as a as a one off. So. You know, we, we talk about conflict being something you can build on. And absolutely, you know, you know, you shout at somebody, somebody shouts back. OK, I barked, you know, we hurt each other and now we'll we'll get past this initial frustration. Um, but at the same time, you know, the, the, the daily sort of it's always the same thing. It's the same pattern. And if you keep going the same route, it's going to keep keep coming out the same way. Um, the other thing that jump to my mind as we're talking you know we're we're talking about conflict within group and maybe i'm jumping ahead to next week uh, but we're you know thinking about what about groups going into conflict together i know we've got a lot of former military as well or what if you're up against a deadline or you're you're out to bid for a contract and so you're you're dealing with conflict with an outside force that's not necessarily in the room and so i'd be interested to hear either this week or next week kind of how that long-term stress impacts the cohesion of the team as well. Let me ask you, Nick, because as I look out on the vast array of organizations out there, most of them seem to be functionally dysfunctional, you know, where, yeah, the work is getting done and we're all playing nice with each other, but really we're not dealing with conflict. We just sort of ignore it till it goes away, hoping that it goes away and the work gets done. And as long as the work gets done, hey, we're surviving. But do we have an issue where but things could really be better? It just takes a little effort to get there. Yeah, I think that's, you know, what a lot of what we're seeing with kind of the we talk about the, the new generation's view on work. You know, they want to make it easier. They want to make it fulfilling. They, you know, there there wants to be a purpose behind it, not just I'm going to make a widget for 20 years and and go off into the sunset. So I think that there is very much a want to to make it easier to make those eight hours that you're at work work for you as well and so yeah it's it's easy when you don't have any symptoms if the work's getting done if deadlines are being met you may not even see that there's a problem you know if you're two levels away so it it does it did it's incumbent on you know individuals to declare what they want and go make it happen and it's also important for leadership to to pull back and say okay what are we not seeing things are going well where's where's the crack in the foundation as it were thank you very much for that richard let's go to you yeah um so in 2018 the apa put out this article um that uh has a framework on um it's actually on teams so you know specific type of work group right but uh um it, it develops or it it shows some interventions that help to uh enable work groups to uh handle conflict you know so it it looks at two it kind of breaks down these interventions into training interventions 
and process interventions. Um, on the training side, we start with leadership training. Like we need those people that can help to manage and um, and model how we want, you know, from a cultural perspective, as Dr. Matthew was saying, like how we want to model conflict um, uh, resolution. And then the, the training aspect of how can we help those leaders uh, to pass on the KSAs to people to be able to navigate that stuff, right? So that that's, you know, sim that can be instruction and then simulation and and then, of course, you know, some on-the-job training and and uh, coaching, you know, part of that whole um, Kirkpatrick model, right? So, so you have that that part of it, the the training interventions, and then you have this uh, you know, process intervention, which is uh, I, I think it's kind of interesting. Like, there's this team building part of, it, and I just finished my certification in the PI, uh, and you know, one of the important parts about work groups and teams uh, specifically is how they're built right who do you get on the bus and um and what what's that dynamic there so sometimes you need somebody in that group to help balance some of the um you know some of what's going on in there so you may have a whole bunch of you know kind of in group you know like-minded people right uh lmx theory type of uh, situation right but you might need somebody in there that's a bit of a foil to that um so we may have a little bit of development that, that we need to do in a, in a team building um aspect and then the other part in the process group there is um debriefing so you know so we've gone through everything you know share some of the outcomes and the analytics of you know how all of these interventions are leading to performance you know so um i could i'm going to share that in the in the chat but i i think it, i thought it was a an interesting enough article to include one of my papers in class. So, <laughs> so um, this the way you, you you outline it, Richard, sounds really good to me. But but let me share with you an experience that I had with an organization, um, and you tell me where this went wrong. <laughs> so there was some conflict, and some people even went to HR. So HR called everybody into a meeting, um, and announced that there was a conflict issue, and put on a forty five minute. LinkedIn learning video to which most of the people in the room were checking their emails and their text messages. 45 minutes later, the video was over. HR said, thank you very much. We're done. And that's, I, I'm, I'm sure that so, that's the experience for a lot so, of people. <laughs> so in response to this happening, you had a knee-jerk reaction. Basically, somebody said, okay, we're going to go and, and put a Band-Aid on this and do some broad scope training for the entire organization yeah so i mean what do we what do we see wrong in here <laughs> is you know did we did we tailor it to some of the cultural things that are happening probably not because it was probably just a broad you know a broad uh, um scope training right so yeah I, I mean i think you have to you have to have some context to you know what the what what conflict is happening, right? So you have some of the analytics coming in, some of the diagnosis part of things, um, and then you create the treatment from the diagnosis. I mean, you know, it's it's it almost goes to, uh, you know, we're we're not necessarily we're not at all medical professionals, but this, but at the same time, there there is this diagnosis uh, and and kind of prescriptive um, aspect to to what I always do. And all the doctors out there, correct me if I'm wrong. 
And and I will. I'm happy to say there was not an I.O. in the room when all of this was occurring, um, <laughs> which is you know, that's the that's the start of a lot of bad stories. There was no I.O. in the room when this happened. Uh, thank you very much, Richard, um, and and thank you for letting me put you on the spot there for a moment. Um, Alexander, let's go to you. A lot of this is reminding me of a recent Gartner um, series I was listening to for CIOs, and it was one specific podcast that was entitled "How to Critique Your." Um, other executives without getting fired. Um, of course, coming from IT, a lot of it is much more difficult. It's much more focused on the technology and not so much the people side of it. So that is something that a lot of CIOs do have to learn these skills to be able to talk with other people, share their ideas, deal with the conflict, and be able to be successful in convincing others to roll out their ideas. Um, people have put a lot of good information here, but it's been very and peer-reviewed articles. I thought I'd share something that was a little bit less daunting for someone. Um, so I'm going to re recommend the books for How to Win Friends and Influence People, and then The 48 Laws of Power, because a lot of this stuff is kind of talked in these books in easy-to-digest ways of being able to resolve those conflicts and listen to people and be able to learn how to actively be able to make people feel that you're really cared about and be able to do those successfully. So. That is what I want to say. And thank you very much for that. Uh, Jacqueline, welcome to Work Cookie. Good to see you back here again. Let's go to you. Thank you. Um, I like where we're going with the skills and the processes of how do we actually approach conflict. I would add to it that at the top of the house, there's got to be a here is our organizational priorities. Here's the culture that we want to set and creating a culture where people can bring issues forward. And, you know, maybe that that creates conflict, maybe not. But the culture where we lean in and work through these things that are brought forward versus sweeping them under the rug or whatever other behaviors might come about. Uh, and I believe that's part of the keys to high performing organizations is that you do invite employees to bring these issues forward and share them and work through them and that everybody is better for it on the other end of the scenario. It, you know, as you're talking there, it, you could also be describing family. So <laughs> are, are we really sort of, and I, I mean, this would be good in my mind, are we moving to organizations that are more family structured, where we actually have to care about even the people that we don't get along with? That's a great question. And I think that um, my response to that would be, you have to respect the people you don't get along with. You've got to respect them to a point where you're able to work with them and I like the word care because when people are bringing these things forward, it is because they care. You know, at the point that I stop caring, I'm going to stop bringing things forward. So maybe I don't agree with somebody as a person. Maybe I don't care about them as a person. But if we can find this shared goal, we care about this organization that we both work for. We're both invested and engaged in the work that we do. And so because of that, let's find a way to navigate and move forward. Um, but the hope is, yes, that that we do care about the people that we work with. And I think that's the best environment. And um, I'll stop there. 
well, it's a good place to stop. And thank you very much for that. Uh, and Manny, good to see you back again. Let's go to you. Thank you. Hi, everyone. So um, I just want to touch base with, um, uh, you know, when, whenever there's like a conflict, we are kind of like dealing with like the two E's, ego and emotions. They're just flying over here. And in my experience, being in both environments, um, my uh, collective environment, where I originally come from, and then uh, the individualistic environment. I've kind of like noticed that we are always struggling with the whole, the power struggle thing. And then the whole kind of the opposite end of I matter, we matter kind of thing going on. And in this situation, so when whenever a conflict is happening, emotions are flying around and at, at the most, at, for the most part, no one is listening at this point. And, you know, people who are struggling with a power struggle, especially our leaders, because I've experienced so many situations. For one, I'll give one example. There is um, a volunteering tasks that we have to be doing within our, our organization. And then one of the leaders reaches out to me because they were shot with volunteers. They were asking, but they had already put me on the slot. So I'm, I was kind of confused. So now I tell them, no, I don't think I'm going to be able to volunteer today. So now just because they put me on the slot, they don't want to go back and change it or they don't want to go around and ask somebody, they started going off with me in, in the inbox. So I noticed it was kind of like a power struggle thing. Okay, this is what we're going to do and this is what you have to do. So it's like using the authoritative kind of talk. So just because now I was more, my EQ is so high, I kind of like noticed what was going on. I, I, I slid it and then just went on to do my, you know, whatever I was assigned to do. So what, I'm, what am I trying to say? It's very important for organizations for, to equip um, employees and even leaders to equip them with the emotional intelligence uh, skill because somebody talked about the pausing part and that's what we have in the self-control part, whereby you pause and then um, and then you have the, the emotional, you pause and then you draw the emotional boundaries. When you pause, you get to think. You get to think about your next part. You get to even be more um, accommodating of somebody else's idea. And then also the whole empathy thing. All these things come under the emotional intelligence part. You know, having the emotional capacity to deal with each other's different different ideas. All I just want to say, just need somebody to be emotional intelligence. And then also the power struggle thing, most of the time comes when somebody is not so sound within their position. So when you have the whole self-awareness whole thing going for you, you're so like solid within your within your presence within your ideas that somebody else's idea can't even offend you or even they can't really offend you because you know what you're all about so what am i just trying to say in a nutshell is that we just need to like equip the organization with the whole just increase our emotional intelligence so we don't even go around just trying to talk about things like oh we need to bring in like videos to to be speaking to people to to solve a conflict like we'll all be equipped enough to get into a conversation in a very professional and mature way so we can get to the next move. That's what I had to say. Well, thank you very much. Always great, Amani, to hear from you. And yeah, you need an IO psychologist to help you with this. <laughs> um, Brandon, let's go to you. Thank you, Tom. So um, I was I dropped a little um, clip in the, uh, the chat there about how your, your comment on 
organizations moving towards families. And um, worked with a lot of different organizations over the past five years. And whenever I get that buzzword of, oh, our, I, I always ask when, when I'm starting with a new client, how would you define your company culture? And whenever I get the answer, oh, we're like a family, I'm like, ah, crap. Because that usually means it's a dysfunctional family. Because I, I, most families, especially if you're from New York, and especially if you have some sort of Italian in you, we don't talk about what actually is wrong. We just pretend and we just keep moving forward. So the same concept of, oh, we're like a family, that's the same thing that takes place in the workplace. Because you don't have that working relationship and that professional relationship to understand that we need to communicate and be transparent about, hey, when you did this, like this caused these problems for me. And I was working with a, a newer client a couple of days ago, and I wrote a LinkedIn post about this because I, I, I've never heard it summed up so well. And I was like, I, I, I was just fixated on this. And she was saying like, you know, when we're talking about these stage one basic things, it's the making sure we get our timesheets in, making sure we get our time cards in on time, um, you know, communicating, hey, I'm doing this, this is going to have the impact on you. And then I branch it over into like moving beyond that. I look at organizational citizenship behaviors and I'm, I'm doing a presentation on this next week in Indianapolis, um, specifically about how to engage your employees through a good org culture. And one of the slides that I came up with um, has an empty coffee pot on it. It has that garbage can that has like, you know, you're trying to put the last piece of something before it falls over. And then it's just, oh, well, no, if it's still standing upwards, it's somebody else's problem. Um, it's the uh, leaving, like if you use the last paper towel, you replace the paper towel. And when, when you don't do those things, you show that you have a lack of respect for the other people that you work with. So to me, OCBs are so important because it shows how you actually feel about other people. Because if you don't participate in those things, you don't care. And when I go back to that, like getting your time cards in on time, if we think about it from this perspective, if you get if your time cards are due at 2.30, if you don't get them by 2.30, the person who's running, like running payroll might only have a certain time delegated for that task because they've got a million other things to do. So when you don't get in on time, you say, hey, your time isn't as valuable as mine is because you could do it at seven o'clock when you're not supposed to be working. And meanwhile, that person might want to be spending time with their family, doing something else. So it's just showing a complete and total lack of respect. And as IOs, I think we're really good at picking up these little symptoms that everyone just overlooks and goes, oh, that's not that big of a deal. And then I look at it and go, what else? Because if that's going on, these three other things are usually going on as well. Well, thank you very much for that. And congratulations on the presentation. Uh, I'm sure it, you'll do well. Um, <laughs> you should live stream it so we can all see it. Uh, Nick, let's go back to you. Yeah, you know, the idea that, you know, you hear we're a family here and everybody just kind of twinges up a little bit. I saw it all throughout the screen uh, as we brought the topic. I think that, you know, it, it is a different bond. You know, your coworkers are your coworkers. Your friends are your friends and people serve different facilities in life. Now you can have deep lasting friendships in the workplace. And that probably goes a long way to limit conflict or have healthier, quicker resolutions. But, you know, there are people I go to work with that I have no interest in their in their personal life. I'm not trying to be rude. There's just a, a gulf between where I am and where they are. I'm professional. I'm respectful. 
I'm not treating that person like family um, because they could go away tomorrow. And I frankly wouldn't be that sad as awful as that sounds to say out loud. Um, but it's a, it's a working relationship. It's, it's, we're here to, you know, keep money in our pockets and keep the business running. Whereas when you think about a family dynamic, you can easily take people for granted and conflict can blow up in much different ways, but it, it festers longer. There's, there's more of a timeline because you can't fire your family. And so I think that that's one of those things where when you think about this idea, okay, you know, conflict in a family setting or a friendship setting should look different than in a professional setting. And, you know, the, the solution you come to for conflict in a, in a workplace team, you may not like it, but you've got to put on your happy face. And then you've got internal conflict that you have to deal with after the fact. But once the leader or the, the final say is made, okay, let's get on board and, and move past it. Cause I don't want to spend any more energy on, you know, which color post-its mean what. Yes. Family. Yeah. Let's keep them separate. Cause you know, I talked to my coworkers, Jeremy, let's go back to you. This is uh, I've, I love this discussion. I love where everyone takes it. So just uh, obviously makes me smile. Uh, I have the I have the golden ticket for for everything. This is going to solve all problems, all conflict within companies. It's perfect. That's it, Tom. Are you ready to hear what it is? Yes, I am. Okay, great. Self-check questions. So because conflict is so unique, I think it's a matter of self-check questions because they are the, you know, an organization of leaders, the people in the conflict, they're the closest referee. So some sample questions, which are in the the doc that I put in the chat are, uh, you know, so maybe you, maybe you ask these of yourself, maybe you get together with a leadership team, maybe you get together with a particular team. And also keep in mind that a lot, a lot of this can be preventative so that conflict, it doesn't occur or that when it does occur, you have some kind of things to, you know, hey, when we we had our we had this this discussion about conflict, we agreed on this, we discovered this, and maybe someone's not adhering to what was agreed upon. It could be something as very simple as, all right, when we agreed that we would handle conflict like X, what did you have in mind? And again, let them solve the problem that they're coming to you with. But some example questions. It's very simple. How can we promote a culture of open communication to discourage avoidance as a conflict management technique? Bing. You know, why is that important? Because if you avoid it, it builds up, then you get the uh, the negative perceptions and then it's harder to overcome, right? Cool. How can how can we prevent communication breakdown during periods of conflict? You can ask that as a preventative question. You can ask that during the during the potential conflict. Ask how can we address negative perceptions among employees to to prevent conflicts? You you might say, all right, here we have a work group. Let's get together. Let's talk about this as a work group. How can we address negative perceptions that we may already have during conflict? You can say how I like this because it's how it's logistical. It's solving that particular problem. How can we address? You know, there are some negative perceptions. How can we address them? How can we proactively anticipate and deal with conflicts? So, and the questions, what are there? A uh, thousand, 10,000, Tom? I don't know. There's all kinds of questions that, that can be asked, but simply sitting down and starting to ask these questions. And the other thing I'll point to is a communication pledge or call it the communication pledge because organizations don't like to hear the word, the term psychological contract. But if anyone wants a copy of one, of a template, we've got one at the CBOC website under, I think it's under the resources tabs or like free digital downloads. 
a simple communication pledge that can be really good. And for more on that, just you know, take a look at it. But that can be helpful for the preventative nature because you're really getting into this. It's just like contract. What happens when we do have conflict? What do we agree to do? What are our priorities? What are our, our synergies? What are our challenges? What are our personalities like? What are our goals? What are our um, priorities? If I didn't already say that, what are our schedules look like? What, what uh, are our work styles like? So you go through all that. It takes 45 minutes. You can do it with one-on-one -on -one with people. I assume you could do it in a group too. And that provides a, a, a not necessarily a baseline, but it provides a semi-formalized document. You know, nobody's going to sign it or anything. It's, it's just a guiding discussion document. But that way you've got an understanding of how this other person might respond. And you might do it for people that have conflict right then and there. You work through this communication pledge or this site contract, and uh, they're probably going to want to jump across the table and punch each other in the face, perhaps. But you work, you're working together and you both want to get this done and maybe out of the way, which is good because now you have what? A common goal. Common goals are great. So when you work through this, you might even get periods of laughter. Um, you might get some nervous laughter followed by real laughter. You might be able to bridge some, some, uh, some uh, perception gaps there. But really it comes down to try to find a tool that can help people understand how are we working together? How do we want to get work together? How should we be working together? What do we commit to? And then also ask the the very specific questions so that as a group, you can say, all right, look, conflict's inevitable. Inevitable. That's a fun word, isn't it, Tom? Inevitable. It I just said it real quick. It just rolled <laughs> off my tongue. I'll say it again, inevitable. So how can, what can we do and how can we make it effective? And maybe that's another um, self-check question. How can we take every point of conflict and turn it into a positive? Maybe it's how do we take conflict and look at it as an outcome-based process? Meaning when conflict arises, we can identify the conflict. What is the likely outcome of the conflict? What is a better outcome of the conflict? And how do we get to that better outcome of the conflict? Tom? I, like, I like that a lot. And you know, I'm starting to think that a lot of conflict is um, the best of intentions with really bad communication. Um, Maria, let's go to you. Thanks so much. Great conversation. This is one of my favorite topics, actually. Um, so I don't have a lot of anything new to say, really, because um, you've all just made such great um, comments. But I will uh, dovetail a little bit on what Lee said about managing expectations. Um, and I think it's fresh for me because I'm in the middle of transition myself with teams and, you know, understanding expectations on my new team versus what's going to happen as I transition out of the old team. And, um, you know, being inquisitive about where I'm going is, you know, it's important for me to know. Um, and one of the things that I find is um, the feedback piece. Um, it's important for people to give feed. Lee mentioned this. He gave the feedback in a an appropriate time frame. You know, if we're getting feedback at our annual evaluation and we haven't heard about it, you know, and it happened six months ago, it's going to put us on the defensive, right? And if you're savvy enough with HR 101, you're not going to sign that evaluation and you're going to file a grievance, which creates more conflict, right? That's a whole other podcast. But <laughs> But the fact of the matter is, it, it does come down just to basic communication and expectations. You know, I, I have a new lead who used to be a former colleague, 
at one time, but because we mutually respected each other as colleagues, she becoming my lead is actually a nice transition because I know how respectful she is, you know, and my one-on-ones with her are so productive. Um, and I think the, the respect I have for her is she starts the one-on-ones with, what's the highlight of your week so far? And it doesn't necessarily have to be work, you know, but it puts you in a comfortable place so that you don't feel like, you know, you're going to get hit with, well, and, and this happened, you know, I was, we were in a meeting, something was presented, I was not aware of it, and I was going to be part of the process. And um, anyone who knows me knows well enough that my face, I cannot hide how I feel. Um, and, you know, and I did ask the question, oh, this is coming back. Um, well, evidently, my tone must have been surprised enough that she commented it on today, but not in a way that made me feel belittled or that I had done something wrong. And I said, well, I said, I'm glad you brought this up because I was going to actually have this conversation, but I decided to wait till next week because I have a meeting with our leader. Um, but the only thing that I really can say about myself um, is that I don't like surprises. Because if I'm surprised, then the expression is going to come across and it's going to make it an unsettling environment for the rest of my team. I don't need to know all the details, but if I get a heads up that something is coming down the pike, then at least I can stoically sit there and then later on inquire, you know, um, or wait till the information is, is given to me. But it was such a nice dialogue. I've had feedback sessions with other leaders um, and they're wonderful people but they don't do feedback well. And in and, and all sincerity, I'm also learning how to deliver that feedback, you know, because we learn daily, right? And we often learn by other people's, you know, reactions. So I think, you know, Lee hit right the spot on. You give the feedback within a timely, um, you know, uh, time frame, And then you also do, if you're in leadership, you will be so much more respected, even though the person may be dumbfounded when you ask them what expectations they have of you as their leader. Some of them may not be able to be doable, but the fact that you've even taken the time to listen to them, you know, goes back to how Dr. Jeremy introduced the session. You can have that conversation to understand why it's so important to them, but great conversation. And I love all of the comments that everyone has made. Thank you very much, Maria. Nick, let's go back to you. Yeah, when Jeremy was speaking, it kind of jumped to to something that always stuck with me from my graduate work. You know, when you're trying to define a construct or designing an experiment, you begin with the end in mind. What does it look like to have a productive employee? How do you define that? And I think, you know, we talk about communication and conflict resolution. Well, what does resolution look like for for different people? Is it the pain goes away, the problem goes away? I I get the shiny new toy. Like, what what are the expectations? You know, if we if we start at the end, like, what's the future state that we want to be in? Okay, now we can reverse engineer and start creating steps to to get there, and hopefully that you know involves sincere and genuine communication. Um, you know, and. It might not be your ideal solution, but we've already kind of kind of hit on that of, well, what's your next best idea uh, in those situations? Thank you, Nick. Dr. Matthew, to you. So uh, as Lee and uh, Maria were talking about that uh, feedback piece or um, 
many of us may, maybe are familiar with the compliment sandwich where in order to give feedback, I'm going to start by saying something positive to lift you up. I'm going to deliver the bad feedback, but don't worry. I'm going to soften it with a nice compliment at the end. Well, there's a lot of research that shows that that actually doesn't work for a variety of reasons. One, you as the person giving that feedback, you as that leader, it it takes away, it, it communicates something about you if you're not able to directly address the problem. If you are hesitant or, or uh, uh, avoiding that risk of saying, I need to give very important, very constructive feedback to resolve whatever it is, whatever conflict we have going on. The other piece to that is it often falls on deaf ears. A uh, couple reasons. One, either that once they hear that po- that first positive thing, cool, I'm set. I don't need to pay attention. Oh wait, you, you're you're still talking. Oh, let me let me pay attention again. Okay, cool. I caught number three. Number two may not have been important. Well, that was the whole point of it, right? Or so it was supposed to be. The other reason for it is people have gotten very used to that, and so when that first compliment comes out, it's okay. There's where's the shoe going to drop? When's this going to hit? And how, and what do I got to brace myself for? Kind of like Maria was saying. I I want to at least be prepared and know that okay here's here's what's coming my way. Um, there's a team of psychologists at Stanford a while back that did a study on feedback and and they found um, a particular phrase or a variety of this phrase really helped uh, the effectiveness of giving feedback and it was something along the lines of I'm giving you this feedback because I have high expectations of you and I know that you can reach them. So what's that doing is it you as that leader, you are reinforcing to them, we have some sort of conflict here. We have, there's a discrepancy between what the expectation is and what the performance is. I'm giving you this feedback because I genuinely have a vested interest in supporting you and in, in your development. And, and what that does is that all comes back to that organizational culture that so many of us have talked about and those behaviors that are exemplified that really just reinforce and support that psychological safety. If you don't have that within your organization to be able to effectively have those difficult conversations, well, you're, you may be able to address one conflict, but you haven't maybe necessarily addressed the root cause that continues to allow conflicts to come up. And so bringing it back to what we all want to do, bring bringing in an IO who can ask those deeper questions, who can observe those patterns like Brendan was talking about and saying, Okay, you're thinking that that's not a big deal, but I, I kind of know a little bit that this may be indicative of these other things, that if we can address all of this, we can we can develop and find resolutions that move forward and, and help support all of us. Thank you very much for that. And Manny, over to you. Thank you. So uh, one thing I want to talk about feedback is that feedback is, uh, it deals with proximity, you know, and with proximity when solving a conflict, you're always winning at it. So you can't hit from near. I don't know if any of you have experienced that whole situation. I've always talked about that when you hit your boss, you're talking, you know, those words about him, the ugly words behind his back, you're talking to the employees. But when you get into a meeting with that boss, when you're near, you kind of like, there's a way it kind of makes you forget and then you start bringing the ideas because you're in close proximity. Proximity always does it whenever you're giving whenever you're giving feedback. Like you're in close proximity, you it's very hard to hit from here. At some point, you even forget that you hit the boss, and then you kind of like in a way find yourself giving in ideas and having that conversation with that boss because you're in close proximity. So I'm just saying that uh, proximity always works when giving feedback. One thing that we need to look out for when giving feedback is the tone and demeanor. Very important. Forget about being positive and tone and demeanor. And then also maybe as a leader, talking less. 
just tricking the mind, psychology reverse. It's a feedback. You want to give them something, but then you start by telling them uh, what's on your agenda. So you can have them talk and talk so that it can feel like this is like a two-way thing. Like you generally came for this feedback thing to get their feedback as well, to get what what's on them, what's on their end, but then you also bring in what you want. So giving them the, the platform for them to speak first, um, that's like the like psychological reversing that also showing them that you matter. We care about you. So you're getting their, their information first before you give them their information. That's the positive way of starting something. So if you start with, oh, you know, I'm giving you this for because we genuinely care about you. Nobody, it's, it's more like telling them that we are family here. You're saying it, but in another way of putting in a positive word. They'll definitely know, oh, they're just trying to trick me around so they can, you know, bring in the, I know the negatives coming in later. So that's what I just wanted to say. Your tone and demeanor. And then also just making it seem like they matter. So they have that table first to talk before you talk. And I just want to remind everyone, if you're looking to deal with conflict, talk to an IO psychologist. If you want to work on the tone of your voice, talk to an actor. Um, <laughs> well, Jeremy, um, another hour has flown by. We talked a lot about conflict, but we did it in a very cohesive way. Um, and some last thoughts from you. Yeah, last thoughts. So you're, you're right. If Tone and demeanor and all that good stuff and presentations. Talk to Tom. Tom is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community, which is the exact same that you heard on the intro of the actual podcast for our intro. So yes, contact Tom. Tom, how do people get a hold of you? Oh, the best way is you can uh, arrange a 20-minute session with me through the CBOC website. Just book me through there. It's probably the best way and the easiest way to get a hold of me. Oh, very good. Very good. Next, so this is part one. As mentioned, we next week we have part two. We'll be talking about conflict between work groups. Uh, of course, next Monday we have our every Monday IO job seeker psychology IO psychology job seeker meetup open to the public. Then next Tuesday, our CBOC members momentum session. And this week you can look at cboc.com slash events. If you're near Salt Lake City, Utah, or Edgewater, Colorado, we've got some in-person meetups for you there. And we keep moving along. Um, all right. So thank you much for everybody. Uh, Jeremy, I think we are done. If you want to count us out, we'll see everyone back here in one week's time. Beautiful. As always, everybody, counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.